you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I think it's definitely something that's super important in our society today. There are a very small percentage of people that are born with different sexual organs in their body. Something's not right here. I'm different. A person's reality and their comprehension of that reality aren't completely aligning. I recognize men and women being born biologically. Um, forcing people to use certain pronouns is forcing them to engage in a lie. I think we should always err on the side of caring for people and respecting them and their choices. I would never want a child or anyone to feel like they have to be isolated. It can be a very scary place for kids who are going through that. It is abuse when you start changing a child's gender. I don't think parents should have say. I want him to be able to identify however he feels. If he needs any help and support with that at whatever age, I think it should be available. People who do follow through with changing their gender don't necessarily find relief. These kind of treatments are destructive treatments on a healthy body. We just actually don't know enough. Identity in any way gets broke down with sin. And if we don't have our gender clear, then I don't think there's much hope for having anything else clear. All right. Well, uh, it is a joy and privilege to be with you guys today. I want to take a moment to thank and uh, thank God for Nick, uh, for his leadership uh, of this church. You know, to be here ahead of your fifth anniversary, to see God at work is a great testimony of God's grace. I'm thankful for you, Nick, together with Jules, the family, do a wonderful job. So can we thank the Lord um, for them? Uh, as Nick said, you'll have an opportunity to put, uh, send in some questions. I'd love to engage with you on what is a very uh, important, complex and big topic. Uh, before we dive in, how about we pray together? Father, uh, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your great love for us. Uh, thank you that um, your mercy is new every day and that as we arose today and the sun was shining, we arose in your goodness and we arose in your grace. I do pray, Lord, that you would uh, move now according to your spirit uh, and by your word, uh, that we'd be a people uh, who would know you and see you uh, and love you and love like you. Uh, we rejoice in this day that we have and we pray that you'd work. Uh, in Jesus' mighty name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So it's the early uh, 1990s. I'm a teenager uh, living in Melbourne uh, when the phone rings. This is back in the day for you uh, Gen, Gen Zers when the phone was attached to the wall. Uh, and I pick it up and uh, who's on the other line? Jason. And who's Jason? Well, Jason is my guitar teacher. Uh, incredible guitar teacher, toured with bands, uh, could slay the guitar better than most. Uh, and uh, here we are on this uh, phone call, catching up on a few things. And he says to me, Guy, when you come back from the summer break, back to your lessons, you're going to notice some changes. I think to myself, what kind of changes? New fees, new curriculum. He says, Guy, I'm transitioning. I'm going to be having a sex change. Do you know what that is? Immediately I say, no. I knew exactly what he meant, but I was so stunned by the moment. 
I said no. And so he spent the next 10 minutes unpacking for me how uh, he'd always felt like a woman uh, trapped uh, in a man's body. So the following uh, week, I returned to my guitar lesson. My palm is a little sweaty as I hold my guitar and walk on in, but the change is, is obvious and immediate. Uh, where there was a uh, Metallica t-shirt and black jeans was now a, a floral dress. Where there was uh, stubble and facial hair uh, is now makeup, eyeshadow, uh, painted nails. And, and where there once was a man I knew as Jason, was now I was being introduced to Jessica. Um, what's curious in all of this uh, is that at this exact time in my life, uh, I was going through somewhat of a change slash transition. As Nick and I just talked about earlier, uh, I hadn't grown up uh, going to church, but in my teenage years had made this radical change in my life. Uh, I started going to church. I started uh, reading the Bible. I I turned from my old life of, of, uh, of drinking and hooking up with girls and was now all about following Jesus. And uh, even now I can remember sitting my year 12 uh, instrumental guitar exam, myself with my WWJD wristband on, uh, a wooden cross that I'd carved out myself uh, self around my neck, sitting next to Jessica uh, in her floral dress, and we're both rocking out to this medley of Bach and uh, Gary Moore and Eric Clapton before these, you know, um, the examiners trying to make sense of it all. Um, in my early university years, I, I stopped uh, getting guitar lessons, and so uh, our paths really uh, went their own way. And uh, I hadn't seen Jessica for, I don't know, over 20 years. Uh, that was until a, a, a few weeks back. I decided to give Jessica a call. I called Jessica and say, you probably don't remember me. Jessica says, I do remember you. The 17-year-old version, version of you I remember. And I explained that, well, I would love the opportunity to catch up. I'd love to have coffee. And I explained that, you know, since... I knew Jessica, I, I went on to plant a church, and, and we're doing this series called Left and Right, where we're grappling with these big issues that are shaping our world, and one of the topics we're looking at is transgender rights. I'd love the opportunity to have coffee and, and ask the questions that I never got to ask. And Jessica says that it would be fantastic. Now, in the weeks, uh, in the days, I should say, leading up to the coffee uh, with Jessica, I'm reminded of the uh, cultural change, the cultural, social, and, and political shifts we've seen when it comes to the topic of transgender rights. It was only uh, 10 years ago that Time magazine featured Laverne Cox. Uh, this was the first time in history uh, that they'd featured an actress who openly identifies as transgender. And they called this, if you can squint your eyes, <laughs> the transgender tipping point. And this was followed by a massive shift in Hollywood that uh, sought to put the spotlight on the trans community. Uh, we've also, haven't we, witnessed a massive shift when it comes to education uh, and how we communicate to, uh, about children, uh, communicate to children about gender. Uh, it's not that long ago that students were introduced to the gingerbread person. I think we've got an image of that. Thank you, sir. 
We were introduced to the gingerbread person. Um, Again, probably might be hard to see, but the gingerbread person sought to, sought to teach students how to think about gender uh, on a spectrum. And you won't be surprised to hear that the gingerbread person came under sharp criticism. Activists took objection to the fact uh, that he has a physical sex and claimed that the gingerbread person was overly male. And so they produced the gender unicorn instead. Uh, You'll note they have changed biological sex, in this description, biological sex for sex assigned at birth. Now, this might seem like a minor shift, but actually it signifies something quite uh, crucial. We're now telling young people that sex is not something you're born with, but instead a social construct that is assigned to you at birth birth. So in, in my case, the argument goes that on the day of my birth, the doctors held me up, looked at my body and my body parts and said, it's a boy. Right? They assigned, it's a boy. Uh, and then that was documented legally on a certificate marking out my gender as male. And then to really seal the deal, my parents named me Guy. <laughs> so that is, in this worldview, assigned to me. And of course, the rise of transgenderism has not only impacted education and of course entertainment, but is shaking up the realm of professional sports. Uh, just a few months ago, um, uh, FINA, the International Board for Swimming, became the first sporting agency to, to ban transgender athletes from competing, and this was followed soon after uh, by Rugby Australia and many other organisations now following in that way. Uh, it's important to note there's also been much debate on both sides of the political spectrum. Scott Morrison was heavily criticised for the religious discrimination bill, which sought to protect religious communities regarding who they hire and what they teach. Uh, of course, the recent election has signalled further change uh, for the trans community. The Labor government promised reforms uh, when it came to the religious discrimination bill. They've committed to recognising LGBTIQ plus people in the 2026 cons uh, census and uh, are providing uh, significant resourcing for healthcare and public awareness. All of which to say that Time magazine was, was right. <laughs> we very much surpassed the transgender tipping point. But as I walk into my coffee uh, to reconnect with Jessica for the first time uh, in over 20 years, I'm reminded that transgenderism isn't just cultural, social, or political. It is, for some of us, deeply personal. Um, Jessica shares of the early years grappling with her identity and a sense of disorientation. Uh, she explains, you know, I was born physically male, um, but I had reoccurring dreams in which I was, in the dream, a little girl. Uh, and she had that, Jessica had that wrestle for her early teenage years and really into her adulthood, early adulthood. And Jessica explains that um, uh, she'd throw herself into the music industry to try and escape that sense of dysphoria. But eventually she conceded uh, and Jessica decided to transition. 
Uh, what was it like telling your parents, I ask? Terrifying. My mother didn't speak to me for months, Jessica says. But over, overall, the response, Jessica says, has been positive. Um, does that make Jessica a leading activist for the trans right movement? No. In fact, Jessica uh, explains to me that she's quite appalled by uh, cancel culture and the outrage marking the left. And Jessica raises concerns about the, the rise in young people today who seem to be succumbing to peer pressure. In, in, in Jessica's worldview, uh, the trans movement today is akin to the punk rock movement of the 1960s, where it's cool to rebel. Um, of course, Jessica says that a little tongue and cheek, but does acknowledge that we're now living in a very uh, different age where there are sharp edges on both sides of the cultural and political spectrum. Now, for me, as a Christian, uh, as a father, as a pastor, uh, I was immensely uh, thankful for the opportunity to sit with Jessica um, I learned so much and uh, plan on meeting up again to learn some more. And it, it, it's that conversation uh, that in many ways frames uh, some of how we should be thinking about this topic today. Yes, it's cultural. Yes, it's political, but it is also deeply personal. Uh, I want to help us with some basic definitions just to set some context for us before we jump into that text. Um, firstly, with just a, a definition, what does it mean to be transgender? Uh, Dr. Mark Yarhouse, who is a Christian clinical psychologist who specializes in gender identity and religious identity, says this, uh, transgender is an umbrella term for many ways in which people experience, express, or live out a gender identity that is different from the gender identity corresponding to their birth sex. So within that umbrella term uh, would be a trans woman, would be someone who is uh, bi-gender, agender, pan-gender, gender fluid. These are the many categories that you might find today when someone says they are trans. You might be wondering, what are the contributing factors uh, when it comes to a person's experience of gender incongruence? Broadly speaking, uh, there are two schools of thought here. Some believe that nature uh, is the most significant contribution. People often uh, refer to brain sex theory, which argues that being trans is a neurodevelopmental condition of the brain. Others argue that gender is not so much a matter of nature, but of nurture. Uh, a leading thinker in this school is uh, Dr. Money, who uh, theorized that a person's gender identity is primarily the result of social conditioning. Uh, there's so much we could say about both schools of thought there, but it's helpful to just acknowledge that research in this area is still relatively new and therefore conclusions are, are hard to find. Uh, Dr. Mark Yarhouse says, an appropriate amount of humility can be found in saying we don't know what causes gender dysphoria. Uh, of course, it is important to acknowledge that there has been a steep rise in transgenderism. 
One major study in the New York Times, uh, reported in the New York Times, uh, noted that young people identifying as trans has nearly doubled in the past three years. You say, why is that? Why has it doubled in the last three years? Well, it depends on which circles you are in. Uh, in trans-affirming circles, the most common explanation for the rise is social acceptance. It's said that young people now have the language and the social acceptance for the behaviour uh, that they want to pursue. Uh, they can now readily share their gender identity with an accepting world. A second and opposing explanation would describe the rise as a result of social pressure, right? So not social acceptance, but social pressure. That's not to say that people, uh, that, that's not to say that there aren't people struggling with gender incongruence, but perhaps there are many more who feel lost in this world and are searching for acceptance, and they're finding that identity, they're finding that acceptance within the trans community. Uh, one example would be Helena Kirshner, uh, a young woman who transitioned to being a boy in her teens, has since detransitioned back to her biological sex, and she comments on the influence of social media. Note these words. She says, looking back, uh, I don't think I would ever have considered seeing myself as a boy without these social aspects, especially if I hadn't joined these online communities. There was literally a period of a few weeks to a month. I started as an ally, and then eventually I was starting to identify as transgender. This leads to an important question now of uh, care and support. What is the best and most loving way to support someone who believes that they have an identity that is different to the one assigned to them at birth. Obviously, this is an incredibly complex and personal question. This is saying once you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person, right? Everybody has their unique story. Everybody has a unique context that needs to be considered. That said, there are three main resp responses. And again, we can flesh this out in Q&A if that's helpful. Uh, the most um, popular view today, the cultural view today, is what is known as aff uh, affirmative therapy. Uh, this is where parents and communities and schools are to affirm whatever expressed gender a person has. And it's the role of the community not just to affirm them, but help them make that transition. Uh, the second approach is known as watch and wait. Uh, this approach seeks to uh, acknowledge a person's gender incongruence while waiting for the advent of ad uh, adolescence or adulthood to take its natural course. And those who advocate for this view will point to the fact that about 80 to 90% of children who express a different gender will come to identify with their bodily sex if natural development is allowed to proceed. The third path has been called reparative therapy. Uh, this approach is based on the belief that our gender is a biological reality determined by our genes and anatomy, and it seeks to align the person's mind to their body. Now, I should say that based on uh, recent legislation in Victoria, it's now against the law uh, for anyone to try and change or suppress anyone's expressed gender identity or sexual orientation, even if they ask for help. 
right? It's now in Victoria against the law. This means it's now illegal for parents to refuse a child's access to puberty blockers. Uh, It's illegal for a psychiatrist to say to their patient that gender identity is a mental illness. And if someone were to come to me or to you struggling with their gender, asking for prayer that their mind would align to their body, legally in that moment, you, me, I'm not allowed to pray towards that end. All of which to say this has become an incredibly difficult topic, difficult space to navigate. Not only because it shuts down the opportunity uh, to have the conversation, Uh, but because it limits the capacity for family, friends, the church to speak into the matter. Uh, The implications, as you may appreciate, for transitioning are huge. Uh, Carrie, for example, was a 15-year-old when she transitioned socially. Uh, She started taking hormones at 70 and had a double mastectomy at 20. Two years later, she detransitioned. This is what she said. The truth is a lot of women don't feel like they have options. When you tell a therapist you have those kinds of feelings, they don't tell you it's okay to be butch, to be gender non-conforming, to not like men, to not like the way men treat you. They don't tell you there are other women who feel like they don't belong. They tell you about testosterone. Carrie adds, when I was on testosterone, I wanted to change my name. Once I changed my name, I wanted a mastectomy. Once I had a mastectomy, I want a hysterectomy and so on. Transition didn't really make my dysphoria better. It just kept moving the goalposts. And she concludes, I'm a real live 22-year-old woman with a scarred chest and a broken voice and a five o'clock shadow because I couldn't face the idea of growing up to be a woman. That's my reality. So how would it make sense of this? What might a church's response, a Christian's response be? Having having provided you some context to just grasp um, the basics of this issue, I want us to now consider what the Bible has to say. Uh, It is vital uh, that we're in God's Word. Here at City on a Hill, we believe that the Bible is God's good word for us. Uh, And it's in the word that we find life and vision and direction in how we are to love and how we are to live. Uh, So this is what I feel the Bible is telling us we must affirm. First, the Scriptures compel us to affirm that all people are made in the image of God, right? We must affirm that all people are are made in the image of God. So in the reading we heard, Genesis 1, God created man in his, what? Own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I'm aware we're living in a unique time where it's often said that truth and meaning and identity is what you create. Identity and meaning and truth in our culture is not objective or absolute. It's a subjective and social construct manufactured on the floors of human experience. And this is having huge implications when it comes to the question of identity. In a postmodern age, an age where truth is a social construct, you're no longer who your parents say you are, 
You're not who a politician or a school teacher says you are. It's all about what you feel. You define who you are. I feel. I create. I am in charge of my destiny, destiny and my identity. But this is where the Bible presents a very countercultural and compelling vision. Because according to the Bible, we don't make our identity. We are first and foremost to see ourselves as created beings made by God. Made by God. Uh, in art, this is the difference between Monet and Mr. Squiggle. Who, does anyone here remember Mr. Squiggle? Right? Great little cartoon. Not a cartoon. What is it? Puppet. Here's a puppet. Uh, I'm sure they did a cartoon at some point. Um, Mr. Squiggle is a puppet, and he receives a few little sketches like this, and I think the teacher turns it upside down, and he's got to try and create something out of these lines. Sometimes it's a duck. Sometimes it's a car, a horse, whatever, right? It's not actually too dissimilar to how our current-day culture plays with truth and our identity. It says, yeah, you've got a few lines to play with, but ultimately it's up to you to create the story. It's up to you to create your own meaning, up to you to create your own truth, up to you to create identity. Uh, You can see why that's appealing. (laughs) I'm in charge. I'm the captain of my own ship. But you also can see how incredibly overwhelming it is. Uh, What if I get it wrong? What if the identity I choose for myself is not the identity I'll want in the future? Uh, This is where Mr. Squiggle (laughs) is very different to a Monet. Uh, You don't walk into a gallery with a paintbrush to create your own Monet. No, when you see Madame Monet, the intended goal is to recognize her beauty and to stand in awe. And so it is with humanity. The first and fundamental response to humanity is that we would marvel at the beauty of God's good design. Whether you're a man, a woman, whether you're a woman who feels like a man or a man who feels like a woman, God says you're not an accident, Uh, You're not a product of society. You're made in the image of God. You're crowned with His glory. You're signed with His seal. And so in the end, the question when it comes to identity is not, who does the world say I am? It's not even, who do I say I am? It is, who does God say that I am? And the overarching biblical principle is that God looks upon this world with great love. You're made by Him. You belong to Him. You are loved by Him. And because all people, and underscore all, because all people are made in God's image, all people are owed respect. All people should be valued. No matter what we feel about their beliefs, no matter what you might feel about their behavior or how they present, all people deserve respect. Um, This is really uh, incredibly important and true when it comes to our topic today. Trans people are real people. 
right? Let me just say that again. Trans people are real people. And as real people made in the image of God, they, like all people, warrant our kindness, our compassion, not our hate and our rage, but our kindness and our compassion. And that kindness and compassion can take on many forms, but as Christians, we should be thinking about that kindness and that compassion. Uh, Trans people face real issues in this world, often marginalised in society. Uh, When they go to a public bathroom, there is often cultural and community confusion where it's not so sure where they can be and what is accepted. Um, When it comes to sport, clearly our culture hasn't yet worked out what's appropriate. Uh, When it comes to abuse and violence, trans people are some of the most targeted people in the world. When it comes to homeless shelters or correction facilities, a trans woman is often too manly for the female section, yet too womanly for the man section. And sadly, when it comes to the church, it seems many churches find it far too easy to rage and to point out the sin instead of remembering the goodness of God's grace. I'm not saying Christians should sign up to the trans movement, but somewhere amidst the noise, amidst the political, cultural outrage, we are to be engaging trans people with light and with love. And in this, we want to recognize that we are all embodied beings. I love how the psalmist expresses this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So the Bible reveals that when God made you, He gifted you with a mind to think, a heart to feel, and a body to move. Every part of your being was knitted together by Him. And recognizing that we're embodied creatures not only helps us value the fullness of humanity, but the significance of our gender, both its physiological components and the way we experience and live out our gender. Because God not only made humanity, but formed us, male and female. Uh, Yes, there's profound sameness between the man and the woman, but there's also distinction. Uh, Will we always feel at home in our body? No. Will there be times where we doubt and perhaps even despise our gender? You bet. But knowing we're formed by a good God with inherent value and unique significance as a man and a woman should suggest great caution when it comes to reordering what God has put together. As Christians, we believe God is honoured when we walk in step with the gender God designed us to have and to pursue. This is true when it comes to affirming our biology, but it's also true when affirming our expression of that biology culturally. You know, uh, whilst avoiding gender stereotypes is crucial in the church, we mustn't make the equal and opposite error of erasing our femininity or masculinity. We, as Christians, must celebrate the beauty 
and complementarity of manhood and womanhood. We need to uphold God's design by loving and supporting boys and girls to be who God has made them to be. Now, I appreciate we're living in a democratic society where adults can carve out whatever path they want, but I don't believe we should be telling children they can be whoever they feel they are. Nor do I believe we should have medical practitioners experimenting on young bodies. A person's gender is incredibly important, and I feel that parents, children, and community leaders need the space to step back, work together, and make informed decisions that seek care and healing for all. Uh, And this is where an understanding of gender and our struggles with identity must be viewed, not only in light of Genesis 1, but also in light of Genesis 3. So second, as Christians, we must affirm that all people are living now in a broken world. In Genesis 3, we find Adam and Eve losing sight of God's good design. They swallow a lie. They rebel against God. And this brings devastation to our world. Order becomes chaos. Life is now fractured with death. And it is that death uh, that mars the relationship that we were supposed to enjoy with God, but also the relationship we are supposed to enjoy with one another and ourselves. And it's a disharmony that we have been walking in ever since. The world is not as it should be. Life is not as it should be. We're marred spiritually, we're marred relationally, and we are marred physically as well. As Paul says in Romans 8, creation was subject to futility. This is our world. It is a uh, precious and painful paradox. And it is why Christians can and must find great unity with those who are struggling with questions of identity and gender. Because of all people, we know that on this side of heaven, None of us are truly at home in our body. And so rather than pretending that everything is okay and acting like we've got it all together, we as God's people can give full voice to the many emotions, the highs and lows of life. We are to be people who, yes, rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. If you're struggling with your identity, struggling in your gender, struggling to find your place in this world, I want you to know that we, the body of Christ, are with you. We're not going to stand on a mountaintop pointing the finger down. We're here to enter into the valley and share in that struggle and in that pain. And when it comes to this issue, we won't always have the right words. We won't always understand what is best, but where there is isolation, we want to offer friendship. Where there is distress, we want to offer comfort. Where there is confusion, we want to provide hope. And where there is rejection, we want to extend the hand of 
God's great love. And this leads to a third and final affirmation. In reading the Scriptures, (laughs) we must recognise and affirm that our hope is in Jesus, who is good news of great joy for all people. Jesus is our hope, and He is good news of great joy for all people. Uh, In the book of Acts, there's this great moment where we discover that Philip uh, has received a revelation from the Lord. The Holy Spirit has spoken to him, and he's told to go to Gaza. And as he's traveling, a chariot comes his way. And inside the chariot is an Ethiopian man who's introduced to us as a eunuch, someone who'd been castrated. We don't know if that was from birth or something happened later in life, but that's his identity. Um, And it's an identity that came with uh, significant cost, particularly in the ancient world. Uh, in, In ancient Israel, family, marriage, children was a prized identity, a prized status. Uh, On top of that, there were laws in the Old Testament that prohibited a eunuch from entering into the presence of God, entering into the inner courts of the temple. So while he had served in a kind of a royal space, he'd also felt a distance from his identity and a distance and separation from the temple and presence of God. As the chariot approaches Philip, hears the eunuch reading Isaiah 53 which is an ancient prophecy about God's sacrificial lamb who'd come to save the world. Do you understand what you're reading? asks Philip. Entering the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch points to the text saying, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I love this. Uh, Here in his own chariot, the eunuch discovers that the one that Isaiah is talking about, the one that Isaiah was prophesying and pointing toward is Jesus. Jesus is the good news that God's suffering servant has entered into the world. Jesus is the good news that there is one who knows our suffering. There is one who knows our isolation. There is one who knows our pain and indeed our brokenness. For all who feel lost, for all who have struggled and wrestled with their place in this world, we in Christ have one who knows us. He knows you. He entered in. And in entering into this world and embracing the brokenness, Jesus came to heal. In Isaiah 53, we read that Jesus, the one who entered into this brokenness, came that you and I might be free. He says, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Whether you feel at home in your body or lost and disorientated, unaccepted, no matter where you are today, the promise of the gospel is that in Jesus we can be healed and made whole. 
He comes to bind our wounds. He comes to meet us with His goodness and grace. And so what does the eunuch do? What should we all do when faced with the invitation of God's life? Well, passing a river, the eunuch says, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the river, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When we are baptized into the waters of Christ, we make an outward and public display of the inward transformation that God has given us in Christ. We are made one with Jesus. And so in entering into the water, we are putting to death the death of sin and selfishness and pride and greed and envy. All our sin that was laid on Jesus was put and buried in the ground. But we don't remain dead. Jesus didn't remain dead. Jesus was raised to new life. That's why we don't leave people in the water. We bring them up out of the water. And as we come up out of the water, we are declaring that in Jesus we are made new. We've been born again. We're a new creation, made alive to a living hope. It's not going to say that, not to say that everything's perfect from that point or that you won't fall or make mistakes or stumble in sin, but your righteousness now is not a righteousness of your own, it's a righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness isn't just a forgiveness of sin, it's a declaration of God's love. That just as God looked upon His Son as He came out of the waters of baptism and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So God says to you who are in Christ, this is my Son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And it is that love, that unbreakable love that can help us navigate these complex, difficult struggles that we all face. We all struggle. We just struggle in different ways. But the hope of the gospel is the anchor that drives us forward. I'll share a final uh, testimony with you. Um, Laura Perry, once identified as a trans man, uh, encountered Christ. And after years of personal struggle and rejection of God, she makes a brave decision to entrust herself wholeheartedly to Jesus. She says this, For three days I sobbed and grieved and with more pain and sorrow than I've ever felt before. I felt like I was dying, and I was. I was dying to my old life, to my flesh, to the identity I had created and believed in for so long. But the next morning, Jesus was about to show the world a resurrection from the dead. I went with my mum to her Bible study, and I was surrounded by nearly 100 women who were so filled with love and compassion and joy at seeing their prayers answered. I'd never experienced this kind of love before. They loved me with a love deeper than I'd ever had with a sexual partner. In that moment, my heart was radically transformed. The veil was finally completely lifted, and I saw clearly for the first time in my life. My eyes had been opened to the truth, and I live in a radical pursuit of holiness and living for the Lord Jesus that no matter my feelings or inclinations might be, and for the first time in my life, I have found true freedom in trusting Jesus and found my true identity in Him and in who He created me to be. 
Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we stand in awe of your beauty and your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you created this world and it was good. And Lord, we confess that we have fallen short and that through our sin have brought a fracturing and a futility to this age. We thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus in the midst of this world, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of this chaos, you sent Jesus. And we thank you that in Jesus, you comfort us, you know us, you know the areas of shame. And I thank you, Lord, that you came to heal, that you are the one who takes the broken pieces to, to make us whole. And we rejoice in the life and love that we have by faith. And I pray that that faith and that love would continue to stir within our hearts and transform us to be a people who would live wholeheartedly for you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a moment to stand and stretch, and then we're going to jump into some Q&A together. We've got time for just a few questions, conscious we started late because of our, our technical issues. So thanks so much for your patience. And Guy, thank you for coming and uh, talking to us about this important issue, mm. very relevant mm. issue in our culture today. And some uh, questions, I'm sure, are hitting right on some of the tensions that we might be feeling. I'm looking past you, Guy, because the question is going to come on the screen and then I'm going to read that to you. Here we are. Guy, what are your thoughts on people who identify as male or female but like dressing in what is considered the opposite gender's clothes? Uh, what are my thoughts on people who identify as male or female but like dressing in uh, what is considered the opposite gender's clothes? Um, oh, that's an interesting question. Um, what are my thoughts of those people? Uh, well, I'd want to know who that person is and get to know them. Um, I think uh, what's always important for me is to get to know people. Uh, I want to know who they are um, and be uh, careful not to uh, make quick adjustment, uh, judgments based on outward uh, things like that. Uh, it probably depends. So if the question, it, it depends on who this person is. You know, so if, if, if I was talking with a Christian, uh, you know, who's deciding to wear uh, clothes that were uh, in opposition to their gender, then I think in time I'd want to be addressing that uh, and, and encouraging them uh, to be uh, aligned with uh, the gender that God has given them and to express that in a way. Um, uh, if they're not a Christian, then I think the, there's, there's more fundamental questions about who they are, uh, what is their story, do they know, what do they know of God, uh, what's been their understanding of who Jesus is. They're the kind of things that I want to get to know and, and understand. Um, and uh, try and journey with. And it's also another category here to consider is, is, is this somebody who is doing it, um, uh, you know, are they suffering gender dysphoria, right, which is a medical, clinical um, uh, um, condition? Or is this somebody who is doing it just because of the cultural trend? That, like some of those things require a nuance in how you might respond uh, in, in moments like that. Nice, but I guess there'd be a, a general truth or pursuit as, as Christians, that there's, there's something that we should be celebrating and aligning ourselves with in terms of the, what we talked about, the, being the image of Godness in male or female, and, and trying to celebrate that or align ourselves with what God's 
yeah, creation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. Uh, there's obviously, I mentioned about just being mindful of gender stereotypes. Mm. Um, I remember I actually had long, long-ish hair uh, when I was converted. Uh, I was probably about here. A lot of my surfy friends had long-ish hair and a Christian said, you need to cut it because you're a Christian now. Uh, in other words, you'll say, you've got to be more male like this. And I just think sometimes Christians have a propensity to push um, gender stereotypes too far. So again, it probably depends a little bit on what expression or what someone defines as being those gender identities, yeah. Good, good. Next question. How do we handle people's preferred pronouns <laughs> when we want to uphold the truth? Oh, this is a good question, isn't it, Nick? This is a great one. Um, yeah, look, there, there are two schools of thought in how Christians will approach this, and I appreciate it's a complex one. So the, the harder fast rule is, I don't want to be complicit with a lie, so I'll use the, the correct pronoun based on a person's biology, regardless of how they're presenting themselves um, in terms of their sexuality, right? So um, use the example that I shared of uh, my guitar teacher who presents as Jessica. Uh, some would say, don't refer to, uh, don't refer to him by uh, a fem- with a female pronoun, uh, don't, maybe you shouldn't even call it Jessica because that's not true to their identity. So that's the more hard, and you'll find a lot of kind of evidence, uh, not evidence, a lot of people will argue that case. They don't want to be complicit with a lie. They would say that's a lie. Um, I'm perhaps a bit more on the other side, which would say uh, uh, there's a lot of different Christian thinkers in this space, guys like Sam Albury, which he didn't come up with this term originally, I can't remember who, but um, of having uh, pronoun um, generosity, and the, the idea here is that uh, really we can be generous in this space because we have a, uh, a different value at work here, namely the one of uh, love and hopefully gospel evangelism. So the moment, they would argue, the moment you shut down somebody or choose to use a different pronoun than what they want to be uh, referred to, you're really shutting down and creating a, a barrier at that point. What we should be trying to do is kind of accommodating a little bit at that point so that we can have a bigger conversation about identity and, and really the gospel at the heart of that. So there's probably two different schools of thought. Um, I, I think Christians could hold both views and argue both views, and I can see reasons for both. Nice. Thanks for surveying that for us. <laughs> um, next question. I understand the call to respect, love, and compassion for transgender people. Where is this line between love slash care and affirmation for their choice? Particularly, what does this look like in the corporate world? Do we wear the lanyard or not? What is more harmful or biblical? Mm. What do you think about that one, Nick? <laughs> uh, are you actually asking me or are you making it? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, conscience plays a very important part uh, in the life of a Christian and we don't want to... Um, go against our conscience, and that's going to lead us to some uh, costly, perhaps, uh, but obviously very, very, very awkward and, and um, per- probably personally painful and tense moments, whether in the workplace or not. Uh, and I think, as I, uh, I think it would have been the first sermon of the series, tried, tried to talk about how we approach that tension moment is uh, particularly important, and we need to think about the ways that we affirm a few things. Uh, one of those is, I think, that respect, love, and compassion, uh, but then also being able to communicate uh, the principles that we abide by and, and what we can do or have to hold with our, our conscience. And so you want to put those two forward. And so if you choose not to lose, uh, wear the lanyard, uh, I think it's important to 
perhaps communicate verbally uh, your love, care, and respect, but hey, my conscience means that I, I can't wear this lanyard. I, I don't want to uh, celebrate something that, that I see as untruthful. Uh, but I wouldn't just not wear the lanyard and like be quiet about it and, and, and kind of just go off into your own little corner cubicle in the office, uh, but rather be open and wanting to press in to that conversation. Uh, and vice versa, uh, if you did wear the lanyard, uh, perhaps I just lay my cards on the table. I think personally I couldn't. Uh, and, and I wouldn't, my conscience wouldn't, wouldn't let me. Uh, but if you did, uh, you would want to, I think, uh, in other areas and other ways, talk about, well, what is God's vision and, and how to, what, what is it that I actually hold true? And maybe I, you, you express that you're doing this as a concession or you're doing this as a way to, perhaps in the, similar to the, to the pronoun discussion, doing this in a way to accommodate, uh, but you don't want to leave the conversation there because it's not all celebration. There is also uh, a difference of opinion. So I think there's a tension there, uh, and we want to uphold and be, be well-rounded and, and well-thought-out and communicate things, and then perhaps communicate other things that that first initial communication might have suggested, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, you threw me on the spot there, Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the only thing I would add to that, I mean, so uh, Gospel of John, I think, you know, Jesus says you know them, you know, by their love. And so in your, if you, you know, for those of you in, with the corporate world or in education, just ask a good heart question. Am I known for my love? Is that what they see in my life? Am I known as that very generous, thoughtful, sacrificial person, always looking to put others before me? Am I a person who's giving in a, in a generous way to help? Like, am I known for these things, the way I reconcile, I forgive people, even though, like, I'm known for those things, I think then gives you a plausibility to make a certain stand on certain things, because they know you're, as a person is incredibly loving. So they don't see this as like, I just want to um, judge someone, hate someone. I'm known as a very loving person. And what I'd also add is, don't just make this issue the issue. I think this is where Christians fall, is because so often we, beget, uh, we land on a few issues very strongly, particularly issues of sexual sin. Like, that's the one sin. Okay, but if you're in a corporate world, do you ever make a stand against corporate greed? Do you ever make a stand against unethical behavior, unethical choices? Do you ever make a stand uh, issues to caring for the environment? Do you ever make issues when it comes to refugees and just like, are you that vocal about them or is it just a lanyard for you so you don't feel uncomfortable? I, you've got to be consistent as a Christian. It's not saying you have to be perfect at all those things. I'm not saying that. But if you want to be a vocal person within the world and speak out against things, I think Jesus compels us to speak holistically, uh, not just to zero in on one particular sin or one particular struggle. You put it a lot better than I did, Guy. Well done. No, no, well, oh, you gave me a moment to think about it. That's what was yeah, helpful. That's what I was happy to serve. Happy to serve. Last question. This is a final question, but if you do have kind of residual questions or hangovers or perhaps your ones didn't get answered, uh, Guy's yeah. here. So feel free to ask him or continue the discussion yeah. in gospel communities. Uh, final question. Transgender slash gender identity is a complex topic. How do we talk about these complex topics with our children so that they're kind and empathetic to peers experiencing this journey but confident in God's design for male and female? Guy. Yeah, I mean, and this is very a live question. As I said, I've got four kids, two of which are teenagers. My eldest boy came home not that long ago um, and said he got called transphobic because someone on the bus, he referred to someone as a he when they wanted to be they, and it was very, like, it's very live for them. Um, so part of it, I think, is creating an environment as a parent where you um, uh, create space for conversation. Uh, so in our household, we'd love to talk, we talk about topics like this and invite their what they're learning, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, 
Uh, our kids know a lot about this topic because it's everywhere in their schools. That would be the first thing uh, I would just say. So entering into those conversations, ensure that they're part of your conversation because they are everywhere. And the other thing I would say is if you want to deep dive on this topic, Mark Yarhouse's most recent book, um, uh, oh, Forming Gender Ident- or Emerging Gender Identities, has like chapter after chapter after chapter dealing with this particular issue. So yes, there's some broad brushstroke kind of stuff that I can give now, but actually what would be more helpful for people, if you are journeying with that, if you have kids coming home going, I'm, I'm not sure about this or how to do this, I'd just recommend that book because he's... Uh, an expert in uh, religious identity and gender identity and thinking those things through. So Mark Yarhouse, I I just highly recommend on that front. Awesome. Well, perhaps, Guy, do you want to finish by praying for us? Love to. Uh, And then we'll stand and sing. Father, just want to acknowledge that topics like this do raise lots of questions and can be disorientating for us. I want to ask, Lord, that right now, in the midst of all of that, uh, you would be an anchor for our soul. Thank you that, God, you are sovereign and supreme over all, Um, Thank you that um, you are life and uh, you'll give us wisdom when we need that wisdom. Uh, Thank you that um, you love us and hold us. And even when we get this wrong, um, you're with us. And so be with us and uh, pray particularly for those who are personally impacted by today's topic, Lord. Would you meet us uh, with your goodness and grace? Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.